This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap for Friday the 6th of January 2023. Big news today, of course, following the breaking news yesterday of the new Sony PlayStation accessible controller. We speak to the man who broke the story. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, how are you? Happy January 6th. Oh, oh, thank you. Is that something we're celebrating January the 6th? Yeah, we're celebrating we? January 6th. Woo, wow. yay! Um, I, you know, I, I feel like going for a walk today. Do you, th- I, do you want no, to go for a walk? No, I don't. I'm not touching anything to do with that. Hello, I'm very well. Thank you, Stephen Scott. Let's move on quickly. <laughs> wow. Oh, you can feel... Bottoms the. tightening when I start bringing up these topics. So it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, yes, it is January 6th. It is uh, 2023. I still can't believe it's 2023. I know I've been saying that all week, but I, I just I can't, can't believe, believe it's it. Friday. I, well, it doesn't feel, it feels like Friday's come along too quick this week. It's like, oh, here we are, we're Friday, right? Wow. Now, Merry Christmas. Oh, we're back to that again. All right, calm <sighs> down. Too it seems quick. like. You lose all track of time over the Christmas period, don't you? you know, oh, I, 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 can't, I can't get back into it yet. Well, tough, because you kind of have to. Well, we'll see. What we're here for. Um, Listen, today we've got a big story to cover. Uh, We mentioned it yesterday, of course, the breaking news. Or sorry, as I like to say here. Breaking news. Yes, the breaking news. Take that away from you. (laughs) The uh, breaking news that Sony have announced an accessible games controller for the PlayStation, which is big, big news. And uh, we are pleased to say... But today on the show, we're going to be talking to the man who broke the story in Wired magazine yesterday. You might have read the article. We linked to it in the show notes yesterday, and we talked about it. Um, Grant Stoner is the journalist, freelance journalist, and uh, avid games fan. I think it's, it's only when you talk about someone who's really into something, you ever use the word avid in the description of their name. You would never use it in any other context. Avid, uh, no, I used to use a video editor back in the day called Avid. Yeah, but that was the name of something. I'm talking, you know, it's a bit like slew. You know, if a there's slew. a lot of something at one time, you talk about a slew. Oh, right. Well, 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 well done, Stephen Scott. What a great thing. Um, yeah, I don't know where to go with that one. <laughs> I told you I wasn't ready. No, I noticed. Uh, but yeah, Grant Stoner is joining us today. Really looking forward to finding out uh, more about how he found out about this and, uh, you know, basically, you know, can he get us one? Uh, that's what I'm kind of yeah, interested exactly. in. exactly. How did he beat us to the scoop, firstly? I mean, well, why is Sony not... Yeah, I know, but why is Sony not getting in contact with us, Stephen? That's what I want to know. You know, Max sent an email. I don't... I have a feeling I got an email last year and, you know, maybe I just missed it. It's, it happens. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well done us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest story of the year. Uh, but it, it's the first accessible tech news story of 2023. That's the biggest one so far. Ooh, now, is it really? I'm trying to think. No, I think you're right. Well, what, yeah, six yeah. days in? Six days in? Well, you never know. No, I'll go. Yeah, I'll give you that. Well done. Well done, Sony. Uh, and, you know, I'm really glad, of course, that it was um, announced to CES this year. That's absolutely fantastic. CES, of course, in full swing. I'm not there this year. Do you know, I'm kind of glad... I'm not there. I mean, I would like to go. I'm kind of missing it. It was such a, I'm going to use the word disaster uh, <sighs> last time, you know, th- that you ended up just on your own. <laughs> there were supposed to be, I think there were supposed to be six of us in total. And in the end, it was myself, my uh, wonderful assistant, Jane. And uh, actually, there were two guys with us who were kind of drafted in at last minute, uh, who were our camera crew and our, our, our production team. And those guys came in from California. You know, which oh. apparently is just around the corner by all accounts. That's very I, cool. No idea. Yeah, I know. It's funny. It was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling people back home, like, yeah, yeah, my crew are coming in from California, you know. I know. Well, I Laddie don't even know there. what any of this means. So are you really, why don't you want to, are you, why are you not missing it, I guess I'm asking? Because it is the biggest consumer electronics show, right? It, it is where everything is announced. This is where it all starts. It is, but I think this year in particular, it's not a great year to be there. I mean, look, I, I would, of course, love to be there, but I think that a lot of tech companies are really holding back at the moment because they just don't have, there's not a huge amount of investment, there's not a huge amount of growth. So we're not seeing what I would say the best in innovation this year across the board. I mean, I'm not, not one company Strong at words. all. I'm seeing a lot of updates to things, but I'm not, I'm not sort of seeing, and, and some of that, again, with, with CES, it's all prototypes and, 
you know, there's a lot of great ideas floating around. And I think that's, that's, if anything else, it's a place to meet and talk to people who are into tech. And, you know, of course, you'll get to see the robots doing their thing and you'll get to see, you know, I think there's a robot cocktail bar, um, you know, things like that. And the, the, the toilet thing we mentioned, you know, all that stuff. Right. And that's all fine. But well, well, don't be dismissive about the Withings you scan. I'm, I'm not dismissive about, about it. Plugging I, think, this. I, I said it yesterday. I, I said it's a great thing. Well, you know, it, when I went to Canada, when we went to Canada, Stephen Scott, that's where I discovered that I've, well, I had a problem. Well, let's be specific. Jane discovered that I had a problem because... Hang on, what? Well, <laughs> she... <laughs> Am I learning something new about this trip? I didn't. I mean, I know we didn't spend all the time together. So what, what happened in the what? meantime? And, and does Sarah know? No, no, no. During the travelling, I realised that I had to seemingly go to the toilet every two minutes, which Jane, as my guide, was really annoyed about. But I, yes. I discovered that I had a pro- I had diabetes. And I never knew, right? Congratulations. Within- it's nice to always come back with something, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, well, no, no. And, and a fridge magnet's the classic. But, you know, if you decide you want to come back with diabetes, then fine. I left my fridge magnet there, actually. That I bought did, the I you? Love yeah. Regina fridge magnet. And, of course, I left it there. But, um, no, look, seriously, with something that could scan your, your pic, maybe there's a diabetes thing there. This, these, these things are cool, and it makes it accessible. And I didn't have to go for a blood test. Well, you wouldn't well, have look, to go it, for a blood test. It's because, it's because we're talking about, you know, pee-pee. <laughs> All that nonsense, right? But actually, you come know, on, you, no. come on, grow well, up. That, but that's Stephen, the point. As soon now, as you bring this stuff up, people are like, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> minus nine of that. Um, but, you know, the thing is, once you get into all this, actually, you think about things like the, the heart rate monitoring on an Apple Watch or things like that, you know, and that, that was actually something that, I, don't, I wouldn't say it saved my life, but it certainly got me into a, a doctor's surgery to make sure there wasn't something wrong because the watch kept telling me there were signs of AF, atrial fibrillation. It's not easy to say oh. that. And that was how I ended up going to the doctor to be told, mm-hmm. yeah, you might have something wrong. Now, thankfully, I didn't. But, you know, the... the the fact is that it was all alerting me to something, and that did lead to me knowing something else that I didn't know. Uh, it yes. wasn't as severe as, thankfully, AF what was. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the point. You know, it's that this technology can really make a difference. And um, it can make it, could, it accessible. To well, that's well. the key. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, Withings are well known for their um, you know, smart body monitors. Oh, excuse me? Beg your pardon? No, it's good stuff. I mean, I've got one of their smart scales. Oh, no, I've got one of their smart blood pressure yes. monitors. They're very good as well. There's nothing better in the world than having a smart blood pressure monitor. I, I don't know why. If you, you know, <laughs> I don't know why it's exciting to me, but I quite I like, like it doing just it. When, when it. When the cuff blows up, yeah, it just it's. I like it. it makes Do you ever feel get like that I'm a feeling doctor? that it's never going to stop blowing up, and that you're you're basically going to get strangled by it? If you're getting strangled by it, Stephen, I think you're putting it in the wrong place. <laughs> Smoke around your arm, not your neck. No right. difference. Um, well, in that case, well Canada man. saved my life. Thank you, Canada. Well, there you go, Canada. Everyone's nice in Canada. And you know what I like about people in yes. Canada? If if you don't like something in Canada, they will change it for you. They'll say, well, I'm sorry, we will, we will rip this building down and we will replace it by the next time you get here. Uh, very nice people. Gorgeous. And deep fried dill pickles. Who knew? But they are... Amazing. Yeah, you can keep that. Uh, Anyway, um, on the... uh, So this is something I tweeted the other day, right, on the old Twitter. Hang on, just checking. Just checking. Uh, Still there, still working. Well Um, But uh, I was tweeting the other day that I, as much as I love Jaws, my beloved screen reader, the one I learned on all those years ago, uh, I actually am kind of taking a bit of an interest in NVDA a little bit more because (gasps) I think it's it's the add-ons that I'm getting interested in. Matt will be listening. So sorry, Matt. Matt Ater, of course, the wonderful man from Vespero. You've got to clarify yes. these things, you know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But, um, yes, uh, Matt will be listening. But, you know, the, the thing is, uh, he's busy. He's at CES. He's not listening. Yeah, he's got true. things to do. But you know what? It is interesting to me because the NVD add-ons that are out there, uh, it was the one for WhatsApp we talked about. That was the one that kind of got me because it really does add that extra functionality. I'm guessing add-on is just another name for script. Um, mm, I suppose so, yes. But, uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. Uh, yeah, I'll go with that. I mean, I'm not too, too, 
familiar with how the scripting works in Jaws uh, or indeed how the add-ons work in NVDA when it comes to creating them and what they're actually doing. So um, I'm not really sure about the comparison between the two. But yeah, I mean, it it makes an already existing piece of software more accessible and gives you you more control through the screen reader. In the case of the WhatsApp add-on, as we did talk about, uh, man, it totally changed it for me. It's it's yeah. so quick to navigate around. Not that it was particularly difficult before, but now I can just do, you know, Control-R and I can start recording an audio message to someone. Control-R again stops it and immediately sends it. And uh, the Alt-Left arrow to jump between the message list and the actual space to type your text message, it just makes it all so quick and easy. Otherwise, you've got to tab around a little bit. And again... You know, it's just about making it quicker for screen reader users. And yeah, I do love that add-on. It's good. But then, of course, this comes back to the point I've made before when Matt was on. And I remember we talked about this at length with, you know, the idea, especially third-party scripts, right? Companies or individuals who create these scripts. As soon as something changes in the application, you're then sort of two versions behind because, you know, you've got the screen reader got to catch up with it. You've then got the third-party script to catch up. So if something changes in that WhatsApp app, you know, I'm guessing that the NVDA add-on is not going to figure that out very quickly, right? It's going to have to be updated. So that can yes. be a problem, right? Because I'm guessing, because NVDA is all open source, isn't it? So yes, essentially the third party, or the not the third party, but the... the well, the third party developer of yeah. the add-on would yes. have to update it to reflect the difference, the changes in the software. Because basically what a script or an add-on does is, I just said I don't know enough about it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Is that's, that never, it, that's never stopped us before. Exactly. I mean, it will it will uh, target a specific element of a piece of software and, and give the screen reader either more information about it that it could relate to us or, you know, how to handle that specific element in the case of, you know, the message lists in WhatsApp for Windows, you know, you can jump to it specifically by using a, a keyboard shortcut. So, um, yeah, absolutely. If, if there, There's a good chance, you know, unless there's a huge change, a huge update to a piece of software that the add-on will still work. But you're right. I mean, it's easily broken at the same time and they will need to be updated together. But that could be the case on JAWS as well, right? It's not Absolutely. Ex- this is yeah, the that's thing. Right. So I think the only, I mean, I'm not aware of it, and I, I know there are certain tools out there, but they cost money. Uh, you can buy packet uh, packages, I guess, of, of scripts and things for JAWS. And I know there's one out there that I'm aware of. Is it Doug Lee, the guy's name? Oh, he's been going for years. Yeah, yeah. that name I've, I've been hearing in the community for the longest time. And yeah, very... Very famous when it comes to scripting and very competent as well. He was like the guy, Peter Quistart, who, uh, if anybody ever in their life had a copy of Adobe Edition uh, way back in version one, you would know who Peter Quistart was because he was the guy who licensed it uh, for everybody, it would appear. Every single person on the planet had a Peter Quistart version. Um, A bit bit of the same thing. Of course, I have no idea. I was never doing that. Um, Actually, I will tell you this. I remember... When Adobe version 3, because edition 3, I used to use that all the time. And I remember there was a time when they were discontinuing it. They actually gave the license away. They just put it up on a website and said, look, here, just have it. Well, they should be doing that anyway, because it's not accessible. As I stated last year, that is going to be my aim for this year. I'm going to make, I'm going to say it, I'm going to make Adobe Audition accessible for screen reader users this year. I'm not going to leave Adobe alone. Do you know what I love? So I, I decided I was going to do something last year, uh, tail end of last year, because of course we did our seven days of 2022. Thank you to all of the, uh, for all of you, for all your lovely comments on the shows. Um, I, you know, I said to myself at the end of each month, I'm going to have a look back at the shows and then snip out the bits. Cause you know what happens? You wait till the end of the year and then you think, Oh, what was that? Oh, what happened then? And that don't line, you you, that line know, you've no. just said, that is getting clipped today. I'm going to keep that line and I'm going to play it back to you in 12 months when you say to me, oh, I didn't get around to it because I was, you know, doing my nails. No, something. no, no. I, no, I'm serious. I am going to call okay. them out on it. And look, I can't. Okay. I've, I Clipping haven't that as well. This, I haven't got the skill to do it, <laughs> but I am going to tweet them, email them. If I can talk to them directly, I will. Oh, be. You, you're going to tweet it's, them, are you? You're going to create a hashtag. You're a hero. I am a hero. No, you're I'm not a hero. a hero. What I'm saying is, it's about time we spoke up about this. It, it, this is terrible. I'm talking up about it for the moment. No one listens. I, I've been mentioning this on the show for a while. One man can make a difference, Stephen Scott. I don't know if no, we've talked can. about this before. No, they can. <laughs> Doesn't work. Uh, I will say, though, um, just on the, the point of um, 
or 2022 or seven days of 2022. Rebecca Skipper sent me a lovely message. She said, loved your 22 uh, seven day tech retrospective. Oh. Take social media in small doses, she says. I try to sound, surround myself with positive thinkers like you and the rest of the team. Ah, oh. what? Okay. Um, she says, you challenge me to be a better person and I get a few laughs along the way. A few laughs. Well, yeah, not um, many. Thank you, Rebecca. That's wow. great. I, I love Rebecca. She's the only person I know that seems to have more tech than you, Stephen. Oh, no, that's David Woodbridge. Uh, David Woodbridge oh, is the man who, he's, he's number one Google. in the world. I know. Exactly. I mean, that's right. The, the, t- Steve Jobs probably didn't have the kind of tech <laughs> that David's got. In fact, I think, I think David has all, nearly everything that has ever been created by Apple and other companies in his, uh, what he calls the tech vault, which I know in Australia it is a large country, but I think it may indeed tip itself into the sea uh, with the amount of stuff that's in this vault. It's incredible. God love him. But yes, anyway, I did put this out about NVDA and, and you know, any any resources that people might be able to point me to. And some of you came back, uh, Greg came back and said NVDA's website has a, a basic training guide that they sell, um, which is a, actually a great way to contribute to the the cause. So I think that might be something I'll get into. Absolutely. I've bought that and the um, NVDA. They've got a few different ones for different programs like word i bought the outlook one. Oh yeah okay um yeah as i say look, everyone should donate to nvda anyway fantastic but it if you buy the book it's a way of contributing and also you know obviously getting some help yourself it's fantastic blind eddie says check out the podcast called double tap there's a gentleman on that show called sean he seems to be a good resource for nvda <laughs> ah. oh eddie you're, you're a funny man <laughs> I've done a few uh, pieces on NVDA in my time, usually just installing it and getting started. But, you know, that's mostly what people need. I'm still a great believer in all you need is the tab and cursor keys. That's all you need. Yeah, that's that's my that's why I'm laughing at what Eddie says, because that's the advice you're offering me. Well, no, I'm not. I'm, not. I'm just saying, look, for most users, if you're just browsing the web and doing some emails and, and word processing and whatever, honestly... That that is honestly all you need. You don't need to know all the deep keyboard shortcuts and how to get into object mode and document orientation. You don't need it, honestly. You say that, but actually, the thing is, if you um, if you had the skill, if you had that those abilities to know that stuff, then you probably would find. The, the value in it. That's the point, right? Otherwise, what would be the, the point in even oh, no, being no, there? Yeah, I'm Why not don't you saying... just use Narrator? Well, you can use Narrator. And I've set up two laptops over Christmas and uh, using Narrator, uh, and I have installed NVDA on all of them, but I've got to say that, that Narrator, I haven't switched over to NVDA yet. I'm still setting them up, you know, installing whatever programs and everything. Uh, Narrator is absolutely fine as well. I, I find it's it's a well, leaping thing. I, I think I, I call it the screen reader leap because you, you you start off with narrator, right? And you say to yourself, I don't need anything else. This is fine. This is going to do the job. And then you come up against a hurdle and you think, ah, do you know what? I'll put NVDA on just to be sure. And so you jump onto NVDA for a while. And then I find I come up against a hurdle and I think, all right, get Jaws, come on. Get Jaws. No, and that's well, it. You know, and you, right. I don't know where else I can all, go. They all have their own features. Jaws has got some amazing features, you know, some... Uh, uh, advanced features that can help you out in some sticky situations. Narrator is great in Windows system settings. Still, I think the best way to navigate through Windows system settings. Uh, NVDA for me is just so resource system resource wise. I think it just works so well, and uh, honestly, it does everything I need it to do. I know. Look, I know it sounds like I'm joking about the tab and left and right arrow. I think people can get so um, overwhelmed by screen readers because there is a lot to them and there does need to be for you know every user case out there for every job that people are doing or every task that people are doing but i don't think you know as you said i think if you just start off with okay i just want to navigate around my my desktop tab arrow keys enter and space then as you go along and as you find something that you can't handle and you do need to delve into it to find the keyboard shortcut or the feature to do that then you you do it naturally I just sometimes I talk to people and you know screen readers just seem so daunting a prospect and they don't have to be. And I think that's even the case for people who have learned and maybe lapsed because people tend to do this. They'll I know I did it many times. A little bit like Braille, I think. You know, you start Absolutely. learning it. Yeah, and I'm, you kind I'm of the come same away. with NVDA. I am the same. I did know 
all those more advanced and deeper set keyboard shortcuts. But to be honest, because I, I don't use them all the time, I, I'd have to look them up now. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, as I say, I'm going to, I mean, I've got NVDA on this PC and I think I do like playing around with it, especially I like this. I think there comes a point though where you think to yourself, how many things can I learn? Or how many different screen readers can I, can I learn? And the one that I never really go back to is Chrome with Chrome OS on the on the Chrome because I saw, I saw at CES they've announced a new Chromebox Acer have announced one and you know the way they advertised it it's like this new idea you know Chromebox is a little tiny like Mac Mini style thing and I've got one of these I've just bought one I bought one about a year ago or two years you ago did. have you actually used it I have I mean I said the funny thing about it was if you remember it arrived and it was all in German and I think I, I have to say I was very proud of myself I managed to navigate that back to English oh wonder. Berg, well done you. Vanderbilt, yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> That's what I said, good! Um, right, before well, we move on, before we get in trouble. Yes. Uh, no, I, <laughs> Sorry, Germany. I, I haven't used it enough, but I mean, I've heard people use the, the installation and the setup in the new Chromevox on various Chrome devices, and it seems far more mature than it was way back in the beginning, obviously. You know what, if, you, if you're buying if one, there, if you're buying a Chromebook, I would say you're going to go on fine. I mean, it might be something that you. I mean, again, it's web based, right? So it's acce- it's as accessible as the website you're going to visit, and that can be the downside. Um, because mm. if you find a website's inaccessible, well, you're kind of done. There's no, there's no, perhaps there's no app equivalent that you can download. I know you can get apps on there now, but I don't know how fully screen reader friendly some of those apps are because they're just Android apps, right? So it's a little bit different. I don't know how it all clicks together. Well, you should grab uh, that that Chromebox back out and uh, have a little play. Yeah, yeah. Well, if but anyone's you using a Chromebox, no, I know, but I would be interested in trying it because you know this year I do want to delve into some of this stuff because I feel okay. It's not something I'm going to use every day personally, but it's something I think people want to know about. I mean, especially when it comes to cost. You know, the cost of a Chromebook is is way down compared to buying a new MacBook or a, even a decent PC. So I know, that, although I must admit, the prices of Chromebooks have started to go up a bit as well. You see a lot. I still don't understand why you need an i7 processor inside a Chromebook, but hey, I don't know. Maybe it's because of these apps. Maybe it needs that power to run them. I don't know. Mm, yeah. um, listen, stick around because we are going to be joined shortly by Grant Stoner. He is a freelance journalist. He's disabled himself, and he got the scoop on a big story, the biggest story of the year, six days in, but still the biggest story of the year, <laughs> which is huge. Sony have announced a new accessible games controller for the PlayStation. Uh, no details on pricing or you know how it's going to you know be available yet. That's still to be worked out, I think. But the fact is, it's coming. This is something they've been working on for a while, and uh, Grant got all the details, and it was featured in an article we talked about yesterday on the show uh, that was on the Wired um, website. So we're going to talk to Grant next. He broke the story, and he'll tell us all about that next here on Double Tap. Can't get enough Double Tap? Subscribe to the podcast and get your fill of Double Tap every day. Visit DoubleTapOnAir.com and follow us now. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. Yeah, welcome back to the show. This is Double Tap. Uh, Stephen and Sean with you today. And, you know, Sean, it's been an interesting day uh, because, of course, lots of fallout from the big news from Sony yesterday that uh, was breaking that they are going to be bringing out a new accessible controller. Very similar, I guess, to the Xbox adaptive controller, at least in, in terms of concept, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it just seems like a, a bit of a shift in in the console market, right? Uh, now, the games have been moving in to more accessible uh, realms, which is great, but the uh, the hardware has been lacking, apart from obviously the Xbox controller from Microsoft, and now Sony have jumped in. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, rather than just nick all the ideas from Microsoft, they, which you oh. know they could have done, they could have. I mean, I think Microsoft, okay, maybe not nick them, but they certainly yes. could have had a conversation with Microsoft. Allegedly, sure, they would have been open with it, uh, <laughs> you know, and then they could have created something together, perhaps. But you know, I kind of like this. I, I like the fact that it's not a case of companies are just going off and doing this by themselves. Uh, listen, we're going to be speaking to the the man himself, the man who broke this story and brought it out to us. Uh, we're going to be talking to Grant Stoner who is a journalist, and he is uh, disabled himself. He is going to be joining us in a moment just to tell us 
uh, all about the article he wrote for Wired, which appeared yesterday. Uh, but first, I thought we'd play this in. This is a little video that, my, uh, that uh, I was going to say Microsoft, that Steady. Sony <laughs> um, <laughs> Sony have put together. And this is kind of explaining, I guess, the journey of how they got to where they are uh, with this new project called Leonardo. Game accessibility to me means connection. That allows everyone to enjoy the stories that we create. If there wasn't accessibility in gaming, it would be extremely difficult, if not impossible, for people like myself to play. It's about the games, and it always will be about the games. For some folks, it means being able to play a game comfortably. For others, it dictates whether that game is going to be able to be played and enjoyed at all. So playing games was a very personal experience for me because it allowed me to kind of play sports and engage in things that I really couldn't do as a kid. The greatest part about the new PlayStation controller is it's designed from the ground up to be not standard. The controller that PlayStation has developed offers the flexibility for the person to figure out how they would like to play and how best suits them during that stage in their life. Really, this new controller is a toolbox. You'll be able to layer different buttons. You'll be able to move different buttons around so that you can make sure that you're hitting the right button combinations. The main thing I really liked was the way you could bridge over two buttons. So when you need to press two buttons at the same time, it was just one. I'm somebody who needs to lay a controller flat and be able to use more of my hand in order to control any kind of controller. I was able to finally incorporate my left hand back into gaming uh, which is something that I hadn't done really successfully since childhood. To have such a powerhouse partner like Sony take on that venture with this project is truly monumental. We're really excited to see the impact of the controller on helping to make access to gaming available to many more people. My dream is to be able to affect accessibility at the, at the platform holder levels. I can't wait to see what the community is going to do with this once they get their hands on it. This controller is a big part of what it means to create accessibility and I'm so thankful to be a part of it um, because it's it's life-changing not just for me but for so many people in the world Absolutely amazing. And that is a video that was put up by Sony uh, as a result of this new project Leonardo coming to life and uh, the man who brought it to all of our attentions is a freelance journalist uh, Grant Stoner, thank you so much for being with us here on Double Tap. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, well, listen, great to have you on because you, you brought this story out. Um, you know, first off, how did you learn about all of this? Because this seems to me, to me anyway, a bit of a bolt out of the blue. Yeah, this was a, a big surprise for me. I uh, actually learned about this last month. Um, PlayStation contacted me and reached out and said, hey, we have an idea for a... Uh, a story we would like you to cover, uh, would you be interested? I said, yeah, sure. And then they pulled me aside and said, all right, here's what this is, and this is going to be your exclusive piece. We're not offering this to any other publication. I was like, oh, my gosh, what is it? And they were like, we have a controller. I said, oh, my gosh, <laughs> it's finally happening. It exists after years. So it was, it was a big deal to finally... Uh, have confirmation that PlayStation has a hardware option. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, I, I say you're a freelance journalist, but you're a, a, an absolutely mad gamer as well, right? You love gaming. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is something, I guess, that you've been watching events unfold with Microsoft. And, you know, I guess yeah. like many people, I've because I've, I've heard this said many times. I mean, I'm not the biggest gamer in the world. People know this. I mean, I'm lucky if I can get Hangman half right most of the time. Um, it's pretty difficult. It's a it is. Game. It's a difficult game. <laughs> yeah. I keep telling people that. Yeah. Thank you, Grant. Thank you. I Someone understands. You. Yeah. Um, but honestly, you know, I, I, I kind of imagine, and I know myself growing up, you know, I wasn't really playing that many games because a lot of the games weren't accessible. Maybe that was what meant that I didn't get that interested in or why I didn't get that interested in it. But, of course, so much more gaming is accessible now. The, qu the question is, how will this controller help someone like you? So there's still a lot that we don't know about the device primarily. Um, what you can configure, uh, how many external uh, devices you can connect to it, uh, the overall size and the overall 
cost of it. That's always a big issue, especially for um, disabled people on fixed incomes. Um, but the fact that it exists is exciting enough. And hopefully as Sony reveals more information on a later date, we can learn about the true intricacies of how much you can customize, uh, the price, um, the sensitivity of the buttons and sticks and so on. But primarily right now, I think people should be excited that disabled people finally have a choice to choose whether or not to play uh, PlayStation or Xbox. Because until this announcement, you had nothing but Xbox. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I find it interesting you said something there, Grant, about it was great to have it confirmed. Did you have a little... You know, did you have a little rumor? Was there rumors going around about the possibility of this controller from Sony? So I had no exclusive information, if that's what you're asking, but a lot of disabled people for years, uh, including myself, would criticize PlayStation, saying that, you know, how can Xbox be the only company that has this? Like, you have to have something, right? Yeah. And so a lot of disabled people would be. Uh, speculating or criticizing or just downright bashing PlayStation for the lack of a device. So, rumors in the sense of, like, we figured something was happening, but we had no no idea it would be this. It, it does seem like... I did... In your article, you did say, you know, that, that, that Sony, in their announcement, mentioned that they've been working on this for years and years, and you're kind of thinking, well, is this just a response to the Microsoft Xbox controller, um, or was this, you know, something that they were going to do anyway? I honestly don't know. But the fact that they... Well, who cares, mm, right? I mean, let's yeah, be honest. That's mm. the point. It doesn't matter. But the, the, they also make a big point of how they've been using, you know, people from the accessibility, uh, accessible gaming community and the disabled people just in the design of this. Uh, so, I mean, it, 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 it may have took them a while to get there, but there's, there can't be any criticism for them, you know, to finally get in here, right? This is all positive mm-hmm. stuff. Right. And I think the thing that people need to remember too in this... I've learned this from interviewing uh, developers across the industry at varying studios, is that accessibility takes time. It's not something that you can just sit down and then, you know, two days later, you're like, all right, it's here, it's out. Many of the innovations that disabled players have come to expect over the years from PlayStation games have actually been developed for years. So much so that they've had to skip generations of systems because the technology wasn't com- uh, compatible with the specific software that they're running. Mm. Um, so, for all we know, which I personally don't know this, but speculation again, uh, this device could have been in development at the same time of the adaptive controller. It could have been in development the year of its release, uh, we, we just don't know. Well, what is interesting, because I'm just looking and I'm really just going off the image that has been going around, and I must admit, I'm finding it, you know, because I have this thing called an eye condition, you know, it makes it kind of irritating to try and look at pictures. But, you know, <laughs> I was trying to understand what I was looking at, and it seemed to be like, maybe, well, maybe you'd be best to explain it better than me, what this thing actually looks like and how it actually looks, because it's like two-level or split-level design. So from what it seems from the pictures um, that that we were given and that the public has seen, it looks like it's a split design. There's two devices. Uh, it's shaped, like I've heard people describe it, as a UFO. Um, I've heard people describe it as, like, a record player, almost. Okay. Um, it's right. a split circular design that features one stick and eight different buttons that you can customize the uh, size and um, I believe like input itself so like if you want a button to be the X button or the circle button or a triangle and then you can also pair the devices with another project in order 
or with a DualSense controller, with a standard um, PS5 key controller. Um, again, because PlayStation's being very tight-lipped about all of this, which I'm sure makes sense, right? This is yeah. a big deal for them to you know, keep everything close to their chest. We don't know how many buttons are offered. From the picture itself, it seems like we only have eight options, but we don't know if like they have little secrets that they have underneath or how sensitive mm, the buttons are or like right. if the buttons can be double inputs. We just we just don't know the information yet. Well, we did get in that little video that they brought out. One of the things they said, which I picked up on, was the we if you have to hold down two buttons at once and you have difficulty doing that, you can essentially make that one button. Oh, that's exciting! That's I pretty cool. I was unaware of that. Yeah, that's yeah. exciting. It I is. Mean, th- that's 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 what it's about, though, isn't it? It's about making it. In fact, the fact that it's almost completely customizable, Sean. I keep thinking about the the Stream Deck um, and a lot of these kind of technologies that are coming out. And of course, Microsoft with their adaptive accessories as well. You know, that's kind of coming to mind out of this as well. I, I was kind of making this joke earlier, Grant, about you know why didn't Microsoft or Sony just go to Microsoft and say, "Hey, look, you know that Xbox adaptive controller looks nice. Can we stick a Sony <laughs> badge on that?" Um, yeah. But, you know, actually, is it kind of cool that they didn't do that? That they didn't just, you know, sort of team up? That they actually came up with their own design? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the best uh, forms of accessibility that disabled people have is the option of choice. Mm-hmm. So now we can choose uh, if Project Leonardo is more accessible for some than the adaptive controller. You can choose to be a... Uh, PlayStation player, if Microsoft's device is better for your needs, you have that option. But right now, uh, disabled people are not limited on what they can play. And hardware and software accessibility aside, when you're disabled and you go through life and you don't have these options before you, it's either you have to do it this way because that's the way it was designed for you and that's it. This is a nice alternative in the gaming space to be able to sit down and be like, all right, I can choose how I want to play, what system I want, how I want to customize it, and I'm not restricted through other means. And I think that's really important. Well, plus there's there's, there's nothing wrong with competition, right? So who knows, the Xbox Adaptive Controller mm-hmm. 2 may look at the uh, the Sony controller and say, hey, we can we can learn some things from that, and that's a good idea. And, you know, it, it goes on and on. So, fantastic. I do like the um, I do like the sound of this. And, like, with a lot of things, especially in the visually impaired community, we talk about, you know, the accessibility of a user interface of software or apps. And, actually, the, the easier an interface is, the better it is for everyone, not just the disabled person using it. Right. And I think it, it could be the same for this controller, right? Who knows that being able to customise it exactly how you want it and put buttons where you want them to be... Uh, who knows you don't see pro gamers starting to look at this controller and say, hang exactly. on, this, this could be something yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the major uh, aspects of accessibility that I wish more people understood, which you just brought up, is it's not just for disabled people. Accessibility benefits everyone. It benefits people who may have temporary disabilities, maybe like a broken limb, or maybe they're recovering from a surgery or something. Uh, it benefits people in situations like if you're in a loud bar or a pub over in England. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Greg. Yeah. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> no idea whatsoever. <laughs> um, you know, maybe the, the uh, audio is too loud, the music, and the chanting of people. So you have captions on the TV, but you're not disabled. But those captions let you watch what's happening. Um, or maybe you're a father with a, a newborn child you don't want to wake them. So you turn on captions so you can play or watch whatever you're doing without waking the baby. Accessibility is not just meant for disabled people. It's meant to create 
an inclusive world that everyone can interact with. And that's what these devices can do. It's not just for people like me. It's for anyone who finds they have a need for this device. Well, it's something I've said for many years, Grant, on this show, and and anybody, frankly, who listen to me, I'll tell them this, that, you know, in order to make something successful, it has to be mainstream. Because if you have a product, I mean, look, there's not that many of us, right? There's not as many people. I know there's a lot of disabled people out there, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But they're not, you know, if you start carving it up and saying, well, people with this disability are, we'll, we'll use this product and that's great, then how many of that community, there's an assumption, therefore, that every single person in that community will play that game or be interested in games or whatever it might be. So mm-hmm. that's not that's not going to work long term. It has to be more widespread than that. And, you know, mainstreaming it is the way to do it. I want to ask you, though, because it's really interesting, this, this space at the moment. You know, I'm seeing so many developments over the last year in accessibility and, and, and gaming is really, I think, way ahead of itself. All of a sudden, you know, there was a period where gaming just seemed to me like it was just... A thing for people, people would talk about, you know, games in the office and I'd be like, yeah, sounds great. I'll never be able to play it. That's never going to work for me. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, all these games companies are starting to, you know, come up with, you know, especially from our point of view with Sean and I, you know, around visual impairment, a lot of accessibility features coming in, uh, new ways to play games, making them more accessible. And yes, there's a long way to go and I get that. But equally, it does feel like there's real progress here and not in other places. Like, I'm thinking about a, a direct comparison here. Uh, tell me what you think of this. Remote controls for televisions, right? They've never changed. You've never had an alternative option out there. It's pretty much that's the standard. That's it. Uh, and it seems that, you know, th- those kind of TV companies, you know, for example, could learn from this kind of you know, this, this kind of design. Oh, absolutely. And, like, people have to remember, too, gaming is the largest form of revenue across the world. It beats out music. It beats out cinema. It's the largest, most profitable industry. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Yes, you're going to have these innovations that happen at a rate that you don't really see in uh, movies and music because gaming needs to continuously outdo itself to be relevant. Like, you can't have the same, you know, Super Nintendo for 30 years because people are just going to get bored of it. You need to have flashier graphics, better mechanics, better accessibility that we're seeing now to maintain its continuously growing audience. So I think that's why we're seeing uh, more and more innovations at a level that haven't really happened across other industries because it's not just this niche group of people that we think of, you know, from the 80s and 90s, the nerdy kids who Mm. play video games. (laughs) Not anymore. Not anymore, no. Everyone has the potential to be a gamer, whether you play on the system like PlayStation or Xbox, or even if you just use your phone to play a little game on the train ride to your place or to work, you're a gamer. You are actively participating in this industry. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not a case of you have to be spending two weeks inside your, you know, bedroom staring yeah. at Fortnite, you know, yeah. and you know, and just sort of sitting there <laughs> and never seeing help. Uh, well exactly it does. <laughs> it's easier to play inside than outside, I think. <laughs> That's an excellent point, though, the evolution of games and how, as an industry, it's massive. And people, I think we have come out of that, you know, it's all for nerdy weirdos. Uh, <laughs> There's still a bit yeah. of that, though. And I think there what, is a little what, what bit. people don't realise is, I, I remember when I worked at the RNIB in the UK, and this was just at the beginning of the time that we were starting to see some change here. And, you know, RNIB actually has done incredible work with this, even bringing on a member of the team now. We've had him on the show, Sightless Combat. Sightless he's well Combat. known. Yeah, you'll yep. know that name. Yep, he's um, a good guy. He's a, really he's a fantastic guy. guy. You know, I'm mm-hmm. so glad they've got him because he's on there talking about accessibility. He's showing how games are being played. He's brilliant. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because I remember at the time they were talking about how games were being played by people who were older, and it was helping stave off things like dementia. You know, because mm-hmm. it was kind of keeping people active. It was a way of keeping people active. And so it's no longer, it is no longer 
the domain of the geek. Hooray! We're back Hooray. in. <laughs> We're finally remember- cool. People <laughs> love us. Finally. I can remember playing, I'm just thinking of a game like Grand Theft Auto, and you can see the evolution of gaming from there. I remember playing the top-down version oh, the of the very view. first yeah. Grand Theft Auto, and you look at it today, and it's so cinematic, and the graphics are amazing. You know, that's because there's literally billions of dollars worth of revenue in in these games now. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Although I did see a great, uh, I think it was a tweet actually, someone had put up saying, you know, when the iPhone 126 is launched, you know, PlayStation will just be launching the PlayStation 6. You know, because they, they take time for these things to come through, you know, and Right. That's the one thing about the industry. It's interesting because as much as I think it's that the, yes, the, the technology is one part of it, and yes, it does evolve. It does evolve more slowly, actually. It seems in terms of hardware than other areas. It's the software that drives the innovation. But I think also, truthfully, that the issue here with the accessibility and the reason things have started to change is actually because the users, the, the gamers, are vocal. You know, the, the consumers are really engaged. It's not like you know. It's different with television. It's different with like appliances in the home. No one gets that worked up about their washing machine in the same way they will if their game isn't right, you know, or if something's not playable or, you know, it's a different kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, and the thing, um, again, which I said earlier about taking time is you can see this shift in mentality with the industry about accessibility options. Roughly... 2015, I would say, is when the industry really sat down and was like, okay, this is an issue. We're being presented with this issue. How do we fix it? And ever since then, games have continued to almost outdo themselves with accessible design and features for disabled people. Uh, And that was probably through years of just not having awareness of the issue are years of disabled people actively communicating with developers through uh, forums and conventions and so on and so forth and also years of learning how to properly do this without alienating disabled people more so than they already were through inaccessible games so for all we know these initiatives could have occurred early 2000s, but maybe because of uh, restrictions in knowledge and technology, we aren't seeing those uh, fruits of labor until 2015. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's always the challenge, isn't it? It does take time for it to come through, but the fact is that the seeds are sown, and that means that as games continue to evolve, and come out, they will have these features in them, which is which is fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. I just want to also ask you finally about um, the, the publication itself of your article, because you know seeing it in Wired magazine, and I've seen with Verge, and, and Wired actually, these two in particular over the last year, I've seen really pushing more and more accessible news, accessible tech news through their publications. Are you finding that stories like this are becoming uh, more... Uh, or easier to sell to editors to say, look, we should talk about this. This is a story we should be covering. Oh, absolutely. I, um, I've been doing this freelancing professionally for, gosh, 2019, I want to say. Um, 2019, I was an editor at a website called Can I Play That, which, um, is the largest disability publication in the gaming industry. And it was all uh, done for free, essentially. Um, Not because we were being exploited, but because we knew that we had to make a difference. So we all sat down and were like, okay, how do we show the industry, the journalism industry, that this is worth uh, reporting on? And for a year and a half, we wrote our... Collective, can I say a swear word? Is that allowed? You can say what you like. We wrote our collective asses off uh, (laughs) to show the industry that um, this is a beat that matters and can be uh, profitable through SEO practices and first for viewership. 
Um, so since then, I've noticed personally, as a freelancer, if I make a pitch to a publication, like Wired, uh, like IGN, uh, like uh, Inverse, I'm not getting rejected because it's accessibility. I may be getting rejected because it just may not be a good idea at the time. Like, publications aren't saying, you know, oh, accessibility, like, we don't really care about that, it's too niche. They said, I guess we are very interested in this topic. Let's see what we can do with it. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, listen, I'm so glad you got the story out. Uh, I'm so glad Sony came to you with it, and uh, you, you must be so proud of it, and you should be. Uh, and, Thank you. you. Know, it's, I'm so, so glad you, you came on to tell us all about it, Grant. Thank you so much for coming on today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Grant. I hope they of send course. you one, by the way. <laughs> right? Yeah, right? Wouldn't that be funny if I do all this articles and I know. all this, like, wow, this is great. And I still have to buy the damn thing. I know. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> so, it's like, yeah, yeah, here's the link to buy it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, right? coupon code? Hello, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I know. $300. Give it over right now. <laughs> Like, damn it. <laughs> uh, listen, thanks so, uh, so much for coming on, Grant. Really appreciate it. That's it for today. Uh, listen, we're out of time today, but don't forget we're back tomorrow. Mark and I are talking all about CES and uh, wrapping up on all the big news, including, of course, the toilet news. I'll be sharing more about that, uh, Sean, with Mark tomorrow. He'll oh, look forward to that. I miss out on you, Scan. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, <sighs> stick around uh, for that on tomorrow's show. Sean and I back, of course, together on Monday. That's it for the weekend. And uh, we'll catch you then. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-TV every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. The Walrus is Canada's conversation and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.